0: Hey friends, welcome back to Stand Strong in the Word. Jason Jimenez here with you. So glad that you are tuning in to this podcast. Now, if you've been following this journey that we've been on, Going through a chronological teaching of the Gospels. Man, we've been seeing some really cool stuff. And last podcast, we talked about Jesus' first miracle, and that took place in John chapter 2 when Jesus was at the wedding feast there at Cana and he turned the water into wine. Well, today's passage is a very powerful one because this is about Jesus going into the temple. Now, I want you to pause and think about this, wherever you're at right now, whatever church you attend. What do you see in your church right now? that you know is wrong, you know, biblically, it's just wrong. And you're praying to God, you're praying the Holy Spirit will convict whoever it is he needs to convict to change those things. Well, Jesus, remember, is in the zone. He is in his ministry right now. And he just did his first miracle. He's raising up more disciples. He's traveling around. The word is getting out. And here in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, is where we're going to situate ourselves right now on today's podcast and see how Jesus enters the temple and he cleanses it. Now, this incident at the temple takes place again, as I mentioned, immediately following the wedding. At Cana. Now when you look at the symbolism, when you look at what is unique about this, Jesus is showing them that he makes all things new, that the old system purification is done, that he is going to atone for our sins, and he is the ultimate bridegroom, and we are his bride. So you take that, not just illustration, but you take this main point of what Jesus is saying, and then you see that he immediately goes to the temple, and he directly not just attacks but exposes the fraudulent accounts of the religious leaders so this this is an amazing portion of scripture now the synoptic gospels don't record this initial cleansing of the temple just the one towards the end of Jesus's ministry remember the last week and we'll get there in the next few podcasts it's kind of a long ways away but in Matthew 21 12 through 13 Mark chapter 11, 15 through 20 uh, excuse me Mark 11 15 through 16 and Luke 19 45 and 46 give the account of Jesus towards the end of his ministry before he's, he's uh, betrayed and crucified on the cross. He cleanses the temple. So it's interesting that when you take John's account here in John chapter two, and you look at the synoptic gospels in Matthew 21, Mark 11 and Luke 19, Jesus not only started out his ministry by cleansing the temple, but he also goes back to the temple and before the end of his ministry to cleanse it one final time. That is very, very interesting. Now, let's read this passage of scripture and touch on a few of these main points. So we're here in John chapter two, verse 13 says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture in the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. "...because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man." All right, so let's break this stuff down. Let's look at verses 13 through 15 about the cleansing of the temple. If you notice back in verse 13, it says the Passover was at hand. Now, this was customary for the Jews, they kept the Passover. If you go back to Exodus 12, if you look back at the law that Moses laid out for the people in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the Passover was a reminder. Of what of God's deliverance of what He did for the people, the Hebrew people in Egypt. So again, that was very customary, and there we see that they're practicing the Passover. Now, notice here in verse fourteen, when Jesus comes to the temple, He approaches those people who are selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons. These are the money changers. Now, the temple courtyards became a busy place. This is outside of the temple itself. The courtyards, okay, it became a very busy place that centered on profit. Not worship, that is fundamental. Now, Annas he was the high priest at the time, and he put in place a system that certified that animals were accepted for sacrifice. Right, and the money changers, what they would do? Because remember, it said there in verse fourteen, they references these money changers. You may think, what are what are these people? Well, the money changers were put there to make sure that they added a 12% surcharge on the exchanging, catch this, of secular money into what was referred to as more as temple currency. That was the Tyrian uh, coinage. So you would have to exchange your money and there was a 12% surcharge, just like when you pull money from an ATM. You know, you have a surcharge that is attached to that, you know, to provide that service for the convenience. Well, they were saying, Hey, look, we're here conveniently to take your currency and exchange it to what is only accepted here in the temple. Now, not to mention, not only that was that going on, but business was being conducted in the court of the Gentiles. The Jews should have been sharing with the Gentiles about God. Remember that was their sole purpose to show the glory of God to other people. But instead, they were all making money off of the sacrifices at the temple. So outside these courtyards, Jewish people and Gentile people were mingling. So they're defiling themselves, the Jewish people. And not only that but they were abusing their position and the Gentiles were taking advantage of it as well because they knew that the Jews were there to offer sacrifices. So how can they get involved in the scam? And this was all conducted and led, sadly, by the high priest himself. So you could see why Jesus addressed this immediately. Okay, now prior to all this, we see that the purification mode, this ritualism was indeed in place, and Jesus was going to have to try to change their mind as best as he could. Okay, again, convince them, but he lived it. He was that example. So now we see in verses 16 through 17 that he not only identifies to this system, but he has to do some rebuking. See, a lot of times, and again, before we look in verses 16 and 17, we can identify, remember I asked you earlier in the podcast, what is it that you know that you see? And it may not just be in your church particularly, but in the church in general. And again, sometimes when we get into generalizations, we could become very um, cynical, we could become very judgmental, and kind of make blanket statements and not really have any proof or, or evidence to support that. So we got to be careful. But the point is, we know that there's a lot that is wrong with the evangelical church today. And I even hate and I'm hesitant to use that term evangelicalism because there's so much there that I think applies to a lot of what we're seeing here in John chapter two, that it becomes this system that man, that certain celebrity pastors and big shot type people have put in place and they've used the scripture and they've twisted the scripture and they've kind of built church to become a thing that really feeds their pride that feeds, uh, you know, that I should say supports their lifestyle. So a lot of times when we do see these things and it's legit and we know that, Hey, that's not biblical. That's not right. That's not what the Bible says. I do believe there has to be rebuking to follow. And Jesus sets the tone right here in verse 16. What did he say when he identified to this whole elaborate scheme? He says, do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, remember Jesus Came suddenly into the temple to cleanse it. This was prophetic. If you go back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and catch this. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he, this is Jesus, is coming says the Lord of hosts, boom. And here Jesus says, John, the Baptist remember, was that messenger who prepared the way to tell people, Hey, you better repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this whole elaborate system that you guys have been under for quite some time, the Messiah is coming and he's going to remove this thing. Now, Jesus disciples, it, it says here in, in, in verse 17, they remembered this, this very act of Jesus caused the disciples to remember what the psalmist had said back in Psalm 69, verse nine, it says, for zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. This was alluding to Jesus's burden and righteousness over the temple. Now, I gotta say, as a, as a man who's been in the pastor for 20 years, you know, through, through life and the challenges of ministry, there have been many times, many seasons in my life where I just got sick and tired of the church and the people and the leadership and even what I was doing and seeing how heartless and, and, and I would say critical that I had become oftentimes, you know, in the last few years, I've seen God do a complete and total change in my life. I love God's church. It is a house of prayer. I have the utmost reverence and respect for houses of worship. And that's what it's, it's supposed to be. It's not about the vision of the pastor. It's not about the programs. It's about Christ and him crucified. And that's what Paul said. I don't come with any elaborate speech. I don't try to prove and show and demonstrate how awesome I am. I come in the name of Jesus who gave his life for us and rose from the dead. That's what it's about, my dear friends. And so if you're struggling right now, well, let's just remember our savior when he came to do ministry, he had to do rebuking in the temple. And a lot of times for us who are called to full-time ministry, God has given us a task. And he is saying, you need to lead by example. And one of the things that, and pray for me, that I try to do is have this zeal for God's house of worship. To respect and to honor the pastorate. And to be there to support the people, the sheep that are there, to equip them so that they could do the work of the ministry. This zeal that Jesus had, I pray will penetrate our hearts and convict us and help us. Now, Jesus publicly announces that God is his father. This is what I love. Why was, why was Jesus so adamant? Why did he have such zeal that he was able to look past this elaborate system, this scheme, and not be intimidated because he represented his father so, right from the start, Jesus proclaimed, we know, his deity, and he references his heavenly father. Remember, he says, My father. This is a place that honors my father, and I am his representative. I am his son, and I will do whatever is necessary to honor the father. You guys, he calls him out, are not doing that. And therefore, he removed what they were doing these money changers the other thing that's interesting too to point out is remember when jesus here is referencing to his heavenly father remember he did that when he was at the temple back in luke chapter 2 verse 49 when jesus was 12 years old jesus referenced that the temple was a place you know of of that his father was worshiped because when the when his parents came and found him remember they lost him earlier he says, "Why were you searching for me?" Remember when Jesus asked him, He says, "Didn't you know that I would be at my father's? I'd be at my father's house, be of his business." And notice Jesus hadn't forgotten that. Later on, we're going to see in John chapter four, Jesus refers to doing to to food being, being um his doing of his father's will. See, so Jesus was so fixated, so focused, his zeal was just again perfect. It's it's a, a standard that we as Christians need to strive for. And when I always look at this passage, it is about Jesus. It is about the Father. It is about the coming of the Holy Spirit that would fall upon uh, God's people and usher in the church age that we are currently in right now. And in order for that to happen... What do we need to do? We need to break down not just these barriers, but we need to worship him in spirit and in truth and not allow a manufactured system not to get caught up into a churchy thing that we think that, oh, you know, we've mimicked, we've manufactured this this way of worshiping and everything's so precise and so key in on the personality of the pastor that we've neglected the person of Christ. No, all that has to go. Now, if you now notice when Jesus came with this zeal that was prophetic from Malachi 3 and Psalm 69, notice now in verses 18 through 25, the rejectors and then the believers. So here's the bottom line. When Jesus comes with this cleansing power, there are going to be those who believe and receive it. And there are going to be those who are going to reject it. This part of John here in this passage in in John 2, 18 through 25, reveals the difference of those who accept the cleansing power of Jesus and those who don't. The idlers in the temple, what they did was they, they manufactured their own religion. And in the process, what did they do? Did they shepherd the people? No, they abuse the people who were coming there to worship God. See, in the process, there was always going to be, again, I don't know the percentage, but there's always going to be a remnant of people who come, even in this abuse situation, this false manufactured system that people on the surface looks like, oh, it's a good thing. Come worship the Lord. And people in sincerity of their hearts are going to come and they're there to worship and they're going to be lied to. They're going to be taken advantage of. And I got to tell you, that is one thing here in Stand Strong Ministries that I am relentless about is to expose those type of false leaders, because for the most part, the Bible refers to those people as false teachers. They don't care about people's spiritual state. They take advantage of them coming to confess their sins before God, and they rip them off. And And it just, it's so disgusting to me. And it's sad that so many people have been lied to, they've been betrayed, they've trusted the, the church, but it was an elaborate scheme to take advantage of them financially, whatever the case may be. In recent news, I was just reading other immoral scandals that are taking place within the church. Shame on these leaders. And so Jesus, in order for us to see believers coming, we need to confront the falsehood. We need to identify what it is and rebuke it and remove it. So this clearly showed the spiritual state of the people of Israel. They were messed up. Again, remember, as John the Baptist was there, he was the weirdo. The religious leaders were out there listening to this man thinking, who gave him the right to do these things? Why is he baptizing in the Jordan? And then when Jesus comes to be baptized, they're freaking out because they, were not being, they weren't ready. They were not looking and searching the scriptures. That we saw the birth of Jesus that he was, that he was coming this way. They missed it completely. Now, on the as I mentioned earlier, as we see this abuse and we see the this, this spiritual state of where the people of Israel are at, where they're just numb, they're ignorant, and they were caught up in this whole elaborate scheme, we're also reminded though, as I mentioned earlier, that there is a small remnant of, of believers, remember that we're anticipating the coming of, of Christ. And I think a lot of times we can get so fixated on how messed up things are, we get negative. And I just want to remind us that as much as as much disgust as I have experienced in the ministry, I don't allow that to get me to the point where I'm bitter or that I uh, neglect my responsibility. It is tough, but you know what? I give it to the Lord and, and I'm reminded that there are many of you listening right now, including myself, I thank the Lord, that are standing up for truth, that we're a remnant of believers, just like Zechariah was waiting for the, for the coming of Christ. Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, John the Baptist, dies for um, not just his faith, but dies for the Messiah. This is exciting, exciting times that we're living in because despite how many young people are leaving the church, we are seeing that there is a remnant. There are people that are returning to the church. So don't lose hope. And, And clearly, if you're in a tough situation and you say, I cannot do the rebuking, you know, maybe God is 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 going to use you, and right now you're just in fear, and you got to trust Him. Now, notice another thing I want to point out as we're wrapping this podcast up in the midst of Jesus again in context cleansing the church. There's always signs. In verse 18, it says, "What sign do you show us for doing these things?" So there's always some validation. You got to confirm something in order for us to believe you. The Jews were always asking for signs for proof. Now, the word was already going around that Jesus. Um, since remember, I believe he was 12 years old and appeared in the temple that this man was unique. He was extraordinary. Now, I don't believe at this point, because this was immediately following the wedding feast at Cana, that the word got out of of him performing a miracle of turning water into wine. But we know shortly after this incident here in the temple, because of the uproar, because of the public um, rebuke that he gave and going around and, and overtain, overturning the tables and their currency that they they were looking into this man, you know, because immediately following, they, they plotted ways to arrest and to kill him. Now, not only was Jesus disrupting this, this elaborate scheme, but notice now he points to the temple in verse 19. And he says, in three days, I will raise this up. Now, this is where we see later on when Jesus was being prosecuted for his quote crimes, they were giving accusations that Jesus said he would destroy the temple. And it goes back to this incident here when he says this in verse 19 of John chapter 2. Now, let's look at two different things going on here. In one sense, Jesus is looking at an actual building. Obviously, he was there at the temple. Now, if you remember, Herod the Great had, he had started to repair and rebuild Zerubbabel's temple around 20 to 19 BC. So, prior to Jesus coming on scene, before he was born, roughly around 4 BC, the temple was being rebuilt. Now, if what the Jews say is true, that it had taken 46 years up to this point, then that brings this encounter at the temple to be about 8027 or 8028. Now, the temple continued under the destruction until about 8063. So, the temple was was not completely finished even during Jesus' time. And even later into Paul's time, the temple was still being, you know, rebuilt. It's still under construction. They kept adding to it. Now it was destroyed, as we know, by the Romans, and some people even say by Middle Easterners in eighty seventy. Now, as Jesus did look at this physical temple building, he was also referencing when he says, "and in three days, I out, in three days, I will raise it up." Saying ultimately, all the stuff that you're you're doing here in the temple points to me. I am the ultimate sacrifice. I am talking about my death and my resurrection as well as the coming destruction of this Jewish system. And so Jesus' cleansing of the temple was just the beginning of what was going to come. This elaborate system will be done, that man has manufactured, that defiles God himself. And Jesus and his perfect body was going to be the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel and as well as the Gentiles. They didn't get it. Now it says here in verse 23, 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Notice because it says he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now the Jews asked for signs, right? And yet, although they couldn't deny the miracles of Jesus, they didn't believe in him as the Messiah. See, see what happens... Is there going to be so many people, sadly, that plant tears? They're all about themselves. They have many opportunity time and time again to accept Christ, to repent of their sin, and they choose not to give up their sin. Why? Because they're blind and they're corrupt. That's why John makes note that Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. See, that's the power of Jesus. He comes no matter the cost and he was willing to overturn this corrupt system to rebuke it openly and to protect those remnant of believers who were there to to worship God in spirit and in truth and not only that but Jesus also doesn't give himself over to these people because he knew their heart and therefore the Jews recognizing that Jesus is probably who he says he is as the rumors are going around that this is the Messiah from from what the prophet John the Baptist is saying, choose not to believe in him. Now, later on, we see Nicodemus. Nicodemus in this system is inquiring about Jesus. And I believe that people like Nicodemus, when you go back to when Jesus was 12, when he was there doing his bar mitzvah and he was doing his father's business, and he was challenging the religious leaders as they went out there in the courts in front of the people to teach them. This was an untrained individual, Jesus. His father was a carpenter. No rabbi had taken him under their wing. So how was this young man so brilliant, so smart, smart? They, I mean, they were stunned, remember, by his opening question remarks. I believe that that stuck with many of these people. And I believe years later, Nicodemus is putting two to do together and realizing this could be that 12-year-old. And then when they start hearing about him turning water into wine and then John the Baptist is arrested, remember, and looking at the fact that he baptized him and looking at scripture like Psalm 69 and Malachi 3, they're putting two to two together at this point. But again, Nicodemus comes searching and many people are searching for Jesus that are even in religions. Many Muslims are coming to Christ. Many Catholics are coming to Christ and understanding that it's not about a system a man-built system, a man-made system. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit moving on us, convicting us of our sin and turning to Jesus who comes and does the cleansing. And he's here to protect us, dear friend. And later on, we're gonna see a powerful story of not just Jewish people like Nicodemus turning to Jesus as their Messiah, but also Samaritan Gentile people that were looked at as as, as the despicable individuals But yet Jesus' love is for all mankind. So may that be a blessing for you as you continue to stand strong in your faith and continue, I pray, dear friends, continue to be in the word and never, never forget that God loves you. I will see you on the next podcast. God bless you. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.